Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and please join me in welcoming our television and webcast viewers to today's program. My name is Jennifer Sloan. I'm president of the Canadian Club of Toronto, and we thank our viewing audience for being with us today. The Canadian Club has a long history as the leading current affairs podium in Canada. Led by a volunteer board of directors, we are dedicated to encouraging open and accessible debate on issues that matter to our city, to our province, and to Canada. Through our youth and young leaders programs, civic action diversity partnerships, accessibility commitments, as well as through our media partnerships and social media properties, we provide opportunities for Canadians around the world to engage with leading political, business, and public figures. Thank you for joining our conversation today. Before I formally introduce our speaker, I'd like to tell you about some of our upcoming events. On May 20th, Canada's Minister of National Defence and Multiculturalism, the Honourable Jason Kenney, will be with us to talk about the armed forces and the security challenges facing our country. On May 21st, with less than 65 days to go, join the Honourable David Peterson, Chairman of Toronto 2015, as he speaks to the lasting legacy of the Pan Am, Parapan Am Games. And on June 11th, Greg Ingle, CEO of Tilray, one of Canada's leading licensed producers of medical cannabis, will explore what's next for Canada and how our homegrown expertise can be exported around the world. For a full listing of the club's upcoming events and to order tickets, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. You can also join the conversation via Twitter and Instagram by following us at CDN. C-L-U-B-T-O, or by using that hashtag. I'd like to express special thanks to today's event sponsor, Carpenters Union, and reception sponsor, TransCanada. Thank you for joining us and your generous support. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, I'm pleased to introduce this afternoon's guest speaker. He's a teacher, father, author. For the past two years, his principal role has been leader of the Liberal Party of Canada. Justin Pierre James Trudeau is changing the world, un peu chaque jour, a little bit every day. Since becoming head of the Federal Liberal Party in April 2013, Mr. Trudeau has traveled the country attending over 1,200 events in more than 170 cities and communities. He is passionate about community engagement, which he counts among his top priorities. He is the second child in Canadian history to be born during his father's term as Prime Minister. The first was Sir John A. Macdonald's youngest daughter, his maternal grandfather served in the cabinet of Louis Saint Laurent. So one would think that a life in politics would be an automatic career choice. Not so for Mr. Trudeau. He studied English literature at McGill 
where he earned his Bachelor of Arts degree. He later went to the University of British Columbia. There, he earned his Bachelor of Education degree. After graduation, he taught French and math in Vancouver. He had started a master's degree at McGill when the political bug finally bit him. He became a member of parliament for Papineau in 2008. He served as the Liberal Party critic for a number of issues, including youth and multiculturalism, citizenship and immigration, and post-secondary education. His party's current focus is on Canada's middle class. Just last week, he unveiled the Liberal Party's plan to bolster middle class families. Today, he's here to provide us with additional details. Bienvenue, Monsieur Trudeau. The Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record, is now yours. Merci tout le monde. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you to Jennifer and uh, the Canadian Club of Toronto uh, for inviting me uh, to share and speak with you today. Uh, right off the top, in a room filled with uh, dear, dear friends, old friends, uh, I'd like to recognize the Honourable Donald MacDonald, uh, who's here with us. <laughs> Where are you, Donald? There you are. As you all know, uh, Don devoted his life as a public to public service as finance minister in my father's government, uh, and it's wonderful to see him here today as well. Thank you so much, sir. It's uh, great, as always, to be back in Toronto. This city typifies so much of what's great about Canada. The energy, the optimism, the dynamism, most of all, the unparalleled diversity. I believe that leadership is about attracting a diverse range of great people to your cause. With a great team, you can accomplish just about anything. And I'm extremely proud of the team we've recruited to serve this great city in Ottawa. From stellar business leaders to Bill Morneau, to terrific public servants like Chief Bill Blair, from globally significant thinkers like Christia Freeland to phenomenal community activists like Adam Vaughan. Uh, we have a huge range of great candidates here in Toronto. Uh, and they're all here today. We also have here today with us our fantastic finance critic, Scott Bryson. Uh, another great GTA MP, Arnold Chan, who's uh, uh, just overcome some significant health struggles, and we're really glad to have him with us. Uh, we also have here uh, GTA um, MPs, uh, John McCallum, who's, uh, of course, a former chief economist for the, Bank of, uh, uh, the Royal Bank of Canada, uh, and John McKay, who's our environment critic uh, out of Scarborough. Uh, and we have lots of candidates here today, uh, Arif Virani, Kyle Peterson, Navdeep Baines, Omar Al-Khabra, uh, Rob Oliphant, and Salma Zaid. Thank you very much, everyone, for being here today. As you can see, we've put together a team of hardworking, hopeful, and deeply connected people. 
I hope you'll consider lending them your advice and your support. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Your city and your country need you on the field. My friends, this is an important moment for Canada. I've spent a lot of time in community centres and church basements, family kitchens and living rooms over the past three years. What I've heard over and over again should give us all pause. There's a sense out there that something vital, something fundamental about this country is slipping. Since before our founding as a nation, Canadians have always had to operate on the notion that everyone, no matter where you are or where you're from, ought to have a fair chance at a successful life. In return for that, we all had an obligation to hand a better country to our kids than the one we inherited from our parents. That, for me, is the essence of the Canadian bargain. It is simple, straightforward, and fair. And most importantly, it worked. The secret to our success as individuals and as a country has been that we've always had a sense of fairness. Fairness. It's what built our country in the earliest days. It's what built our reputation abroad. And it's what built our middle class. And yet, recently, something has changed, particularly on that last point. Our middle class, the heart of our economy, has struggled. Canada's middle class is not as strong as it used to be. The middle class in Canada continues to work hard, but is finding it tougher and tougher to get by. It is true, as many have pointed out, that things are worse elsewhere. We can always take comfort that other countries have it worse but we shouldn't. This is Canada. We solve problems. We don't content ourselves with the thought that at least we're doing better than Spain. And make no mistake about it, this is a very real problem. Since 1980, the economy has more than doubled in size, but median incomes in Canada have all but flatlined. What little growth we've seen can be attributed to the unprecedented and unrepeatable entry of women into the workforce. More recently, we've seen income growth largely confined to three provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Newfoundland and Labrador. Provinces blessed with enormous resource wealth, the development of which helped fuel modest economic growth all over Canada. But, especially with commodity and oil prices falling, nobody should confuse this with robust growth. More important, the middle class and those Canadians working hard to join the middle class are increasingly convinced that what little growth we've had has increasingly benefited somebody else. This is troubling, to say the least. Fairness, for me means that we're all in this together. 
that everyone does well when Canada does well. In turn, we all contribute more when we feel that those contributions create a fairer country for everyone. If Canadians lose faith in that bargain, we will all be poorer for it. Not just economically, but we will also begin to lose our social cohesion. This diverse country's spectacular success did not happen by accident, and it will not continue without hard work. We need to do what our leaders have done so well throughout our history. We need to face up to our problems and solve them. We need a plan, and we need leadership that is focused on executing that plan. That's what I want to talk with you about today. But first, let me put a few more facts on the table to give you a more concrete sense of what I've seen in communities large and small across the country. Nearly nine out of ten Canadians believe the cost of living is outpaced, outpacing their household income. And household debt has ballooned to over 163% of disposable income. For me, it's pretty simple. A strong economy is the one that provides the largest number of good jobs to the largest number of Canadians. But by that measure, we're in trouble. There are approximately 62% more Canadians working for minimum wage today compared to 2004, and more and more working part-time positions. Wages for middle-income earners over the past few decades have stagnated, and more Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck. CIBC has estimated that the average 35-year-old puts aside less than half of what their parents did at that same age, and the income gap between older and younger Canadians is growing. Even still, some of those older Canadians aren't doing well either. An estimated one-third of Canadians nearing retirement age say they have no retirement savings at all. It doesn't help that the age of eligibility for old age security or the guaranteed income supplement has been pushed up by two years. And at the same time, there's another group of Canadians, those who are doing very well, which includes some of you in the room today, those who have worked hard to achieve success, have accumulated assets, and who can contribute easily to your children's education. People who benefit from income splitting, who benefit from a higher tax-free savings limit, whose advantages have been buttressed by repeated government action over the past decade. Look, I support success. In fact, I don't believe we celebrate it enough here in Canada. We need world-beating companies and a first-class business community to create growth and great jobs that we all want for our kids. This idea that some on the right have been promoting that we liberals are somehow trying to create a sense of envy is, quite frankly, rank political nonsense. Our plan is founded on the fundamental premise that fairness for the middle class and those working hard to join it means stronger growth 
for all. Last week, I announced new steps in that plan. The changes I proposed are only part of a larger plan, but they are a good place to start. It represents a big change and a new direction for Canada. It faces up to this central challenge and is aimed squarely at restoring that sense of fairness that is so important to us all. First, I proposed a new child benefit, the Canada Child Benefit. It will be simple, meaningful, monthly, and tax-free. But most of all, it'll be fair. Through our Canada Child Benefit, a typical family of four earning $90,000 will get a tax-free payment of $490 every month. Under the Harper plan, that same family would get only about $275 a month. That means that we're providing over $2,500 more to that family every year tax-free. It would give middle-class Canadian families more money to raise their kids and would go a long way to providing more middle-class parents the opportunity to give their children a fair shot at success in life, no matter who they are. Now, Mr. Harper can't afford to do this, but we can. L'augmentation des prestations pour enfants versées aux familles canadiennes favorisera la croissance de notre économie. La Martin Prosperity Institute démontrait récemment que les prestations pour enfants, sur lesquelles nous nous appuierons pour instaurer notre allocation canadienne aux enfants, sont utilisées pour payer les choses dont les enfants ont besoin pour réussir. La nourriture, les services de garde, l'éducation et les ordinateurs. À mon avis, Une augmentation des prestations que reçoivent les familles de la classe moyenne peut avoir un autre effet potentiel, celui de diminuer la pression exercée sur les comptes de banque et de réduire le recours au crédit facile. Les parents devraient pouvoir élever leurs enfants sans avoir à s'endetter par-dessus la tête. C'est vraiment pas la façon de bâtir notre économie, cet endettement. Still, this one move is not enough. It's not just middle-class income earners with kids who need a break, after all. We need to look at broader relief for all those who are in the middle class or working hard to get there so they can contribute to the economy. That's why the second proposal I announced Monday is to cut the middle-class tax rate by 7% bringing it down from 22% to 20.5. It's a $3 billion tax break for those who need it the most. This is a big change, and it means that if you're single or perhaps a couple without kids, you still get a break. Again, this is about generating more growth and more prosperity for the middle class, which in turn will do the same for the whole economy. My plan is in contrast to the Prime Minister's. With income splitting, Mr. Harper has created a $2 billion tax break that favors the wealthy, but asks everyone else to pay for it.
I think that's unfair. I want to help those who need it, not those who don't. But of course, that $3 billion for my proposed tax cut has to come from somewhere. I'm a liberal. And I'm proud of the hard-won reputation for fiscal discipline and responsibility we achieved under Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin. I am keenly aware that government's resources are not unlimited and that they all ultimately come from one source, the Canadian people. As such, I firmly believe that those resources need to be husbanded carefully and used wisely. That's why we've made it very clear where we would get the revenue we need to cut taxes for the middle class. I propose that we introduce a new tax bracket of 33% at the top of the scale on incomes in excess of $200,000. This is about where those who have worked hard to achieve success come in. So I want to explain why I think we should do this and not something else, like raising the tax rate on corporations. The reasoning is simple. At the heart of job creation and economic growth is investment. I believe in free trade and in foreign investment. I'm also a believer in a robust business culture, one that encourages and rewards investment and growth. Competitive corporate tax rates help make all that happen. I also know that corporate income taxes are applied against profit, which is calculated after high-income earners get paid. So I'm asking those with the most to do a little bit more to help those in Canada with less. So raising corporate income taxes is not going to do much in that regard. In fact, raising corporate income taxes would have the undesired effect of stifling innovation, investment, and growth. And that's not what any of us want. But, like I said, rather than doing something like that, I'm turning to folks like you. I know people in your position get asked for a lot. And as evidenced by the thriving and generous philanthropic culture in Canada, you step up. Your contributions to Canadian society have been appreciated, and I'm asking for one more. Au cours des dernières années, j'ai passé beaucoup de temps à sillonner le pays d'un océan à l'autre et à échanger avec des Canadiennes et des Canadiens de tous les milieux et de toutes les sphères sociales. Les Canadiennes et les Canadiens qui ont travaillé fort pour réussir veulent que notre pays soit équitable. Je sais qu'ils veulent que leurs enfants et leurs petits-enfants grandissent dans un pays encore plus prospère que celui qu'ils ont connu. Je le sais parce qu'ils me l'ont dit, parce que vous me l'avez dit. Réduire les impôts de la classe moyenne nous permettra de créer une économie plus saine et robuste, ce qui avantagera tout le monde, y compris les mieux nantis. La croissance de la classe moyenne assure le meilleur intérêt de tous les citoyens. Nous ne pouvons laisser la classe moyenne et celles et ceux qui travaillent fort pour s'y joindre être freinés 
et s'éloigner de la voie de la réussite, les conséquences seraient désastreuses. The OECD has actually found that higher inequality may lower economic growth and that increased inequality over time lowers GDP per capita growth. Higher inequality also lowers the probability that kids will make it to university. However, when policies are in place to limit or to reverse income inequality, we have the ability to make societies less unfair, but also wealthier. It's not a zero-sum game. But the OECD aren't the only ones to draw these kinds of conclusions. IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde said recently that excessive inequality hinders people from participating fully and developing their potential. Further, she said, disparity brings division. The principle of solidarity and reciprocity that binds societies together are more likely to erode in excessively unequal societies, she said. Well, government can and should play a role in ensuring that we keep our middle class growing. We need all Canadians to have a fair shot at participating in our economy and a fair chance at developing their potential for success. In short, fairness for the middle class and those working hard to join it is good for all of us. It's good for Canada. And, I might say, if we don't deliver fairness, Canadians will eventually entertain more radical options. Now, all of the time I've spent with Canadians tells me that the status quo is not sustainable. Change is coming, my friends. What we need is leadership and a plan to shape that change responsibly for the benefit of us all. Either we choose to act now or we will be forced to react later. And the steps I talked about, the steps I talked about today are not the only ones we need to take. We know that smart investments in education, training, and research go a long way in ensuring that we have a talented workforce that is ready to fill positions. We also know that a real plan for infrastructure investment will help create some of those jobs in the near future and in the years to come. Investing in infrastructure will also make Canada a country ready for the changes the 21st century has in store for us, both economically and ecologically. We know that our global climate will shift just as surely as we know our global economy will. We have to be ready. And with the right plan, we can be. It all comes back to those central ideas upon which this nation was formed. Equality of opportunity and fairness. Fairness. Canada has thrived for generations 
on this fundamental idea. The truth in this country has been that if you work hard, get a good education, and apply yourself, you can succeed. To accomplish each of those steps, however, you need to first have a fair chance. That that is what builds generational success, the kind that gets passed on and the kind that allows an entire country to thrive. That's why we have to do all we have to do now, everything from our highways to health care. Now, I know it's been fashionable lately, particularly in this cynical time, to look to politics for targeted deliverables. This will help me, this won't, and so forth. It has become a given that politics is no longer about vision, that successful politicians these days think just in the short term. Well, I'd like to challenge us all to think again. I'm challenging you, me, my team, all of us to think beyond those boundaries, to envision what we can build for all Canadians. I'm challenging us to forget the checklist, to work not in pursuit of narrow interests, but in everyone's best interest, to do good work for the public good. There is a reason Canada is a wonderful place to live. There is a reason Canada is the envy of so many nations around the world. There is a reason we succeed where others don't. It is because of fairness. It has always been. Let's keep it that way. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Again, my name is Danny Asaf, board member and president-elect of the Canadian Club, and it's my honor today to thank our guest. With the turmoil in the world and the headlines that you read every day, you truly are reminded of how much better it is here than elsewhere and how precious our democracy is. But democracy is not a spectator sport, Mr. Trudeau. It takes capable, well-meaning people to animate and propel that from generation to generation for the benefit of us all. And Mr. Trudeau, Canadians will be ever grateful to you and your family for the service to this country. And the hundreds of events that you've attended are only a small reflection of that. But today, in particular, the Canadian Club is grateful for you having taken the time from your busy schedule to come to our podium and to share your thoughtful, and vibrant ideas for the future of our country 
and our great democracy. Thank you very much, Justin. Thank you, Danny. Mr. Trudeau, I had the distinct pleasure of introducing you back in December at a St. John's Newfoundland Board of Trade luncheon. There you spoke passionately about Canada and its citizenry. Today you delivered the same excitement, enthusiasm, and hope for our country. So thank you very much for being with us. I would like once again to recognize our event sponsor today, Carpenters Union and reception sponsor TransCanada. Thank you for your support. Before I adjourn today's meeting, I draw your attention to the event survey cards on each of your table. The Canadian Club is always looking for ways to ex uh, improve your experience here, so if you take a few minutes to fill that out and let us know your thoughts, we'd appreciate it, including whether you like our new shortened luncheon format this season. We'd, we'd very much appreciate the feedback. This concludes our program today, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. To learn more about our club, please visit us at www.canadianclub.org. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being an engaged, warm, welcoming audience. Our meeting today is adjourned.